Our mighty Father, we're thankful that we dwell in this life as citizens of the kingdom of God. And Father, we look around at the earthly kingdoms and we see how they totter and tumble and how there's so much chaos. And yet, Father, to know that we're a part of that eternal kingdom that will in, at no time totter and will always be ruled by the one who is benevolent, who is merciful. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when we will be in your presence, literally in that kingdom. And Father, we ask that you will bless us now today. We ask for wisdom as we study your word. We pray that your spirit will blot out all influences of the evil one and that we will hear only from you and that the truths that we discover will encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. Genesis chapter 30, beginning with verse 25. Now it came about, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served you, and let me depart. For you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. And he continued, Name your wages, and I will give it. And he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your cattle have fared with me. For you have had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now... When shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. Set shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. And Laban said, Good, let it be according to your words. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, everyone with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and gave them to the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. <clears throat> we began on this particular passage last week, and we touched a little bit upon the uh, fact that uh, Laban here dis displays a certain spirituality, but it's not a spirituality towards God in, in the sense that we would normally understand it. He has divined, that is through some uh, of his... Uh, uh, own spiritual processes involving probably his little household gods, he has determined that uh, the God that Jacob serves was the God who had blessed him and that his blessing was the result of Jacob's presence. And so being a wise man, he determined, you know, wise in the ways of this world, wise in the, in the desire for his own increase, he uh, wanted to keep Jacob around. Jacob was sort of a good luck charm, as uh, you might 
speak of it here. So we invited him again to name his wages. Remember the first time he did that, name your wages, and, and the wages uh, were focused in Rachel. And you know what happened through all of that. Well, now he is asked to again name his wages. And as I mentioned to you last week, Jacob had been deceived by Laban before. Jacob at the same time recognized how much Laban wanted him to stay. And so really, Laban was... In, in a worldly sense, playing into Jacob's hands because Jacob could, in effect, name a wage that was astronomical, literally, uh, in order to uh, stay. He doesn't, but I mean, that is the wage he names seems very minimal, but it turns out to be almost astronomical in the long run. But Laban is, is willing to agree to this because, as we've already noted before also, Laban knew how to weasel his way through contracts and bargains so that it came out to his advantage. Now, in this passage, we discover that uh, Jacob points out the fact that his presence had been a blessing. He said, when I first came, you had a few animals. Now, few didn't mean like six little sheep running around. I mean, he had a flock. Uh, his, his daughter was out taking care of, of, a, of a herd of sheep and goats. But... In comparison, it was a small flock. Now it was a vast multitude of sheep and goats spread out across the plain. And so noting that to Laban, and as Laban had done, acknowledging that it was God who had caused the increase, uh, Jacob was preparing the way for any wage he might choose to name. I mean, what could Laban say uh, in answer to the obvious blessing of God through Jacob's presence? Now, what's interesting is, why had Laban not in any way acknowledged Jacob's presence in the sense of the blessing that had resulted? Why had Laban not said, wow, you know, my herds have so increased since you've been here. Let me give you a hundred sheep and a hundred goats just as a reward. Why did he not do that? Because the guy was greedy. The guy took everything he could get and asked for more and was not willing to share in the blessing with Jacob. True, he had what? Given him two wives, Leah and Rachel. He also had given him the two concubines indirectly. He'd given the two concubines to Leah and Rachel, and now they were also Jacob's. But that was not enough, because in some ways that could be seen as an encumbrance, because in order to support a family of that size and all the children that were resulting, Jacob needed to have a significant income. But what did he have? At best, he had the hireling's wage. What he really had was just membership in Laban's household. He just shared in what Laban had, lived in, you know, on Laban's lands, probably in Laban's tents, took care of Laban's sheep and goats and ate from the flock, but had nothing of his own except the four women and the 12, 13, at least 13 children, probably more, but 13 which are named in the passage. What was going to be his inheritance to leave for his children? He would have nothing because one day, if he stayed, and, and nothing changed, if he stayed, one day who would die? Laban would die, right? <coughs> Laban would die, and who would receive all that Laban had? Well, it wouldn't be his daughters. The inheritance, except under extreme circumstances, went to the sons. 
And so the sons would have inherited everything that Laban had. And would the sons have turned around and said, Oh, Jacob, you're responsible for this vast wealth. We'll share it with you. Probably not. Most likely, they were much like their father. And so Jacob would probably have been turned out on his ear with nothing but his family to show for all of his years of service. So Jacob felt that that was not a good deal for him. And uh, so he wanted to find a wage that would be adequate. And Laban was willing to talk. Whatever it took, he would provide that to keep Jacob there. Now... The bargain that uh, Jacob struck with Laban seems a little bit strange to us, I think. In verse 32 of the passage that we read, Jacob seems to offer to remove from Laban's flocks, which now he has faithfully cared for these flocks for 14 years and seen this, these flocks multiply into a vast number of sheep and goats. He seems to be offering to remove from those flocks all of the non-solid-colored -sol sheep and goats and all of the dark-colored lambs. The wording at the end of the verse, let me read the end of the verse again. And set shall be my wages. He, he lists all these animals, speckled and spotted sheep, every black one among the lambs, speckled and spotted among goats. Such shall be my wages. And as you read that verse, it sounds like what he was going to do was go through all, this vast herd, and he was going to pull out all those animals, and those were going to be his wage. But that is not what is meant, and that is not what happens. Now, he uses what to distinguish the animals? A color difference. Well, that was the most obvious thing. You know, if he were to say, well, I want those with bent horns, or, or those with, uh, you know, their tails crooked, or something like that. That would have been a very odd thing. But the obvious thing that could quickly be seen was a color difference amongst the animals. And by choosing a color difference, these are black and these are not black, right? Are you blind or not? Yes, there they are. You can tell the difference. By choosing a difference like that, he could guarantee to Laban and to himself that neither is cheating the other. In those days, they didn't uh, practice going around and painting little white spots or painting out the white spots, at least as far as we know, uh, to, to make the animals. You know, like the, uh, what was it, uh, 101 Dalmatians, where all the Dalmatians are rolled around in the soot, so they look like uh, Labradors or something. No, they, they couldn't get away with something like that. So this seemed like a uh, relatively foolproof method of... Uh, separating the animals, and each knows that he has the proper animals. Now, what does this express? It expresses the fact that Jacob does not trust Laban, and Laban does not trust Jacob. Do they have any reason not to trust each other? <laughs> One deceiver speaking to the other deceiver? Yes. It, it reminds me of the bargain struck up in 1939 between Hitler and Stalin. You think, oh, such a bargain. <laughs> this has got to be. They called it a non-aggression pact. And you remember how long that lasted. It lasted two years. That was pretty good, really, I suppose. But uh, so it was here. Now, the laws of genetics were not known in those days. It would not be discovered for another 3,500 years or so. But choosing the color patterns such as this made the bargain pretty well, clearly identifiable, and uh, virtually foolproof. Laban agrees, 
good deal. Good thinking, Jacob. I'm willing to take part with you in this particular process. Because he thought, knowing what he knew, that this was in the long run going to cost him relatively little. Relatively little. That's what he thought. Now, from verse 31 and from verse 35, we put those two verses together, we begin to see what this bargain really constituted. What was involved here in this particular bargain. Now, it's important for us, and I tried to highlight it when I read through uh, that verse. There's a phrase in there that we need to emphasize in verse 31. So he said, Laban says, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. See, that's the key to understanding why, for example, verse 32 does not mean what it sounds like it means when you first read it. You shall not give me anything. Now, had he gone out there and pulled out all those animals and put them aside and said, these are mine, then he would have been taking from Laban animals that Laban already possessed. But the key to this is that you will not give me anything. Now, how much the thinking of Jacob was focused on God, we can't be absolutely certain here. But as I'm going to point out as we go along, Jacob was putting himself in a position where really only God could give him the increase that uh, he thought he should have. In verse 32, therefore, we're not talking about a starter herd, which it sounds like. Uh, that was going to be removed. The idea being, of course, you know, what Jacob is actually saying here and what actually is happening here is that the designated animals, the animals that are striped and spotted and speckled that have white on them amongst the goats and have black on them amongst the sheep, those animals are going to be taken out of Laban's herd. They're going to be culled out of Laban's herd and then they're going to be separated from Laban's herd and from that moment on, the animals that are spotted spotted, speckled, striped, patched, whatever, that are born to that culled herd, those will be Jacob's. So nothing born before the bargain would count. Only those animals born after this bargain or this agreement has been made are going to count. Now, this being so, nobody can cheat on the deal. It would seem nobody can cheat on the deal. If you give Laban long enough, he probably could figure out a way. <laughs> to do it, but uh, theoretically, no one could cheat on the deal. Now notice, Jacob had said, uh, I will go through your herd. But notice who goes through the herd. It's not Jacob. Laban goes through the herd. Ja uh, Laban does not trust Jacob to cull the animals properly. Uh, he's afraid that Jacob will leave a few patched and striped and spotted here and there. I mean, the herds are large. You couldn't go through there and spot every one of them just from a distance. So Laban himself, you know, he probably got the herds all lined up and ran them by one at a time. <laughs> out, 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 you know. And he was going to make sure that his herd of goats was solid black and that his herd of sheep was solid white. There weren't going to be any off-colored animals, even slightly left in those herds. All of the culled animals then would be set aside into another herd. Now, what meaneth the words here? 
the words which are used to describe the non-solid colored animals. We have words like striped. Well, you know, most of us have seen sheep and goats to an, enough to know that there aren't any of them striped like zebras. The word literally means streaked, some kind of white scattered through the coat in, in kind of an elongated way. Okay? Uh, spotted literally means patched. So with patch of white, patch of white, patch of white, you know, whether it's on the rump or the head or the side or the belly or whatever it is, if it's got a patch of white on it, it's patched, right? So those are taken out. So you have the streaked and the patched male goats removed from the herd. And then also, of course, the female goats that are called speckled and spotted, uh, patched, are also culled from the herd. So the males and the females with any white on them. Now we're talking about a variety of goat that is solid black. Now goats come in different varieties, but this particular variety, which Laban had and which was probably common to that part of the world at that time, was solid black in its common form. And so all of those that were not solid black were removed. Now, to do so would greatly reduce the chances of streaked or patched or spotted or whatever animals being born to the culled herd, that is the herd from which those such animals have been extracted, right? And so that's what his goal was because obviously if he left some amongst them they would probably re reproduce like themselves and they would be Jacob's. And so he wants to start out with a herd of identical animals, all black goats, all white sheep. And looking at those herds, he could say, Jacob's not going to get much out of this. The only thing of it is, although Laban is older than Jacob, it seems to be implied in here that Jacob had spent more time literally with the animals than Laban had. Jacob knew these animals, not only these animals, but he knew goats and he knew sheep because he'd been doing this all his life ever since he was a child. And, you know, how old is he now? Well, some commentators think he's going on 90 years old. Personally, I think he's closer to 80, but either way, <laughs> um, he's had a little bit of experience with sheep and goats, okay? And so he knows what's going to happen. The sheep were also culled, as the goats had been culled. And it says black. Uh, the Hebrew word literally means dark colored. So we're talking about sheep that had any kind of dark coloration, whether it was black or brown or gray or whatever it was, any of those colorations, they would be removed. And uh, the lambs, so the older and the younger uh, sheep. So what we're talking about is kind of reverse deals, right? White sheep, black goats. Any black with white on it, take them out. Any white with black or gray or brown on it, take them out. <laughs> so you end up with all white and all black, you know, good and evil or whatever you want to say here. Now, I don't know how many of you have the King James Version in front of you, but if you do, you'll discover in verse 32 that the word cattle shows up. The word cattle. In the NASB, that word is translated sheep. The use of the word cattle in the King James has to be understood in the broad sense of the word cattle, not in the sense of the bovine, you know, the animal we call the cow or the bull, but in the broad sense of an animal that is kept in a herd or a flock. Uh, 
probably like ostriches wouldn't be included in that term, but anything that you know was four-footed uh, would normally herded would have been included in that broad word because the Hebrew has seven words which can be translated as bovine. And none of those words shows up in this passage. In fact, the word which is translated cattle is the word which means one of a flock, i.e. sheep or goat. And so we're not talking about any bovines. We're not talking about any cows or bulls. We're talking about only sheep and goats at this point in time. Now, there will be later on in the flocks of uh, Jacob and his descendants some of the animals we today call cattle. But at this point, in this place, there were none. They were just sheep and goats. Now, that shouldn't be too surprising to us because that's been the principal animal through history in that part of the world. <coughs> Most of the animals raised have been sheep and goats. Cows have not been a primary animal raised in the Levant over the many, many centuries and even millennia of time. So, Laban has removed all the non-solid white sheep and all the non-solid black goats. He's given them to whom? His own sons, right? It says that he gave them to his sons in verse 35 at the end, and he gave them into the care of his sons. These are not Jacob's sons. These are Laban's sons. Notice how verse 36 said, and he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So Laban took the purged animals, a whole herd of spotted and speckled and patched and streaked uh, goats and sheep, and he, and he took, uh, sent them off three days' journey, 30 60 miles, some distance, under his own sons. And then he left the whole herd of black goats and the whole herd of white goats under Jacob's care. This is the deal that Jacob has made. Any of the spotted, speckled, or streaked that are born uh, to your herd, that's mine. But not to the herd that's been separated. So the herd of all that kind of animal has been separated, and that's not part of the bargain. What happens to that herd is irrelevant to the bargain. It can multiply, divide, whatever it wants to do over there. That's Laban's. Jacob has nothing to do with it. Jacob is only going to get the patched and spotted animals that come from the solid herds that are left under his care. It's important to remember that because what this is emphasizing is the role of God in all of this. So... Laban has now two herds. Big herd under Jacob, smaller herd under his sons. Why three days journey? <laughs> Obviously, so Jacob couldn't sneak over some night and kind of, you know, mate them and uh, sneak back with them. This too far away to do that. So, I mean, does Laban trust Jacob? No. <laughs> now, Jacob doesn't trust Laban either. But Jacob is putting himself in the hands of God. Um, what we're seeing here is he's beginning to live out the truth that he knows and has learned about God. It hasn't seemed like that's been lived out in his life too much up to this point. But at this point, he's beginning to live it out. 
and to test God to see what God would do. Because God had said back at Bethel, I will go with you, I will be with you, and I will meet your every need. Jacob finally is learning the point, it looks like. So, here's the basic agreement. Any non-solid white sheep, any non-solid black goats, born to Laban's purified herds that were under Jacob's care would belong to Jacob. Now, if you were Jacob and you're looking at this big herd of black goats and this big herd of white sheep, <laughs> what would you say? What are the chances of this, these purified herds producing these uh, speckled, spotted, patched, uh, you know, the odd colored sheep? You know, when we talk about a family, we say he or she's the black sheep of the family. We're not talking about, you know, something that is a normal occurrence, right? It's not like every other lamb born is black, right? The idea is that it's like one amongst a herd. So Jacob has definitely put himself in a, uh, what would seem like an awkward position, at least physically, in the normal human sense of the term, but he is trusting in the hand of God. Now, under the natural laws of genetics, uh, he was at an extreme disadvantage. The solid colors were the dominant strain of goat and sheep in that part of the world at that particular time. The dominant gene in the goat of that day was black. The dominant gene in the sheep was white. And now we're looking at herds that seem to possess only the dominant gene, at least looking at it in, a, in, in the broad sense of the picture. Jacob knew from experience, though, he had seen it happen in the past, that a solid black goat male mating with a solid black female sometimes produced a non-solid black kid. And he had also seen that solid white sheep did the same thing. Occasionally there was one born that didn't look like its parent in the sense of the color of its coat. But the percentage is very small, particularly if you have none of that feature left in the herd. Now, Jacob does not understand the laws of genetics. He simply knows what he has seen. But he does believe that there's something he can do to facilitate this, and that's why we come to what seems a little bit like hocus pocus uh, towards the end of the uh, yeah. chapter. Now remember again, because the Bible says, relates something, doesn't mean that the Bible is saying that that was true. It just says this is what happened. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Now you have this, this handout before you, I hope. Most living creatures, I'm sure we could probably say all living creatures, have a blueprint within them that determines the physical outcome of the adult of that particular living organism, whatever it is. We come out the way we do because we have a blueprint within us that determines how that's going to be. That blueprint is sometimes referred to as the genotype, and the physical result is, sometime, the, is sometimes called the phenotype. Now, 
where is the blueprint carried? It's carried on the chromosomes. And the chromosomes are locked in the cells of every creature. Now, generally speaking, the chromosomes come in pairs. There's two chromosomes that, are, that move in conjunction with each other. Most of the living creatures have several pairs. From what I've read, you, there's, there's as many as 100 chromosomes, there's as few as one chromosome, depending on the order of the uh, creature, plant or animal, whatever it is. The chromosomes are so, sort of like a teeny little thread. And on this little thread are little beads. Now, they're not really beads, but you could visualize them like little beads. They're called genes. And they're all lined up in a, in a particular order. And it's these little genes which are responsible for uh, the genetic heritage. Whatever the creature is going to look, out, look like is determined by the genes. The genes apparently pos possess the DNA. And, and the DNA manufactures whatever that gene is responsible for according to the pattern carried in the gene itself. So there is a specific gene for each feature. You have genes for your eye color, genes for your hair color, genes for your skin. I mean, all these different features are determined by the genetic uh, makeup in the cell of the creature, whatever it happens to be. Now, for every feature, generally speaking, there are literally two genes which determine that feature, one on each of the pair of chromosomes. So here's this pair of chromosomes. Each has a gene at a particular location that deals with one particular feature. Blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes, gray eyes, black eyes, blue eyes, red eyes, whatever. Uh, these are determined by the genes located on this, the pair of chromosomes. Now, we're not talking about people, obviously. We're talking about goats and sheep in the instance here. Now, God devised a special process by which the uh, genetic uh, features of the adult can be transferred into the child. When, when the gametes, the, the reproductive cells, are, are the product of a process called meiosis. And what you have are the two chromosomes, the, the pair like this, they're split apart. The pair is split and each half of the pair goes into a separate gamete or reproductive cell, whether it be a sperm or an ovum, depending on a male or female, obviously. And uh, so each of the gametes possesses one half the chromosomal number of that creature when it's normally put together. And so when you bring the sperm and the ovum together, voila, you have the normal number of chromosomes again. So you have the genes of the mother and the genes of the father joined together in the child. And that's why, for example, you have children that look a little bit like you in some way. You know, sometimes you wonder, but uh, often they do. And in fact, I've seen mothers and daughters that, man, they look like they'd almost uh, like they were uh, clones rather than <laughs> the product of this process, or fathers and sons for that matter. But uh, this, this results from this particular process. And, and then when the sperm and the, and the ovum join, they form the zygote, and the zygote has then the full, what they call the diploid number of, of chromosomes, the, the whole number. 
And that process of meiosis, of splitting the pairs in half, produces the hap what they call the haploid number. Those of you who are biologists know all about this. Haploid number in each of the gametes. And so haploid, diploid, haploid, you know, this kind of a deal. No wonder we're all called dips, huh? <laughs> we all have that diploid number. Woe be unto us if we don't, huh? Well, anyway. In the male black goat, or in a male black goat, if the diploid, the full number of chromosomes in that animal before meiosis uh, takes place, uh, carries only black genes, in other words, on each of the two chromosomes in the pair, the gene for color is black. You split it, then transferred into the reproductive cell is only the gene for a black coat, okay? If, then, the female is identical in her genetic makeup, and so you have the ovum with, ovum with a chromosome with a black gene joining with an, a sperm, sperm with a, a gene for a black coat. When they merge, black is on both chromosomes. That animal will be black. It has no other option, unless there's been some kind of cosmic ray mutation, you know, in between. But that's the case. The, the offspring will be a black kid. Now, black is dominant. The dominant gene in the black goat is black. The recessive gene, the, the gene that's less likely to reproduce, is non-black. Whatever that me happened to be, spotted or patched or streaked or whatever that was. Now, if you look at your little chart, this is a simple, very simplified way of looking at how this works. As I've noted at the top here, the capital letter B is representative of the dominant black gene. The small letter, letter B is the gene for the non-solid, whatever it is, spotted, speckled, striped. We're talking about goats here. And that's the recessive gene. Now, if you look at the top box, uh, the genes in the sperm, the gametes from the male, are BB, capital B. So that means black on both chromosomes. And so when it's split, it doesn't really make any difference which sperm unites with the ovum. There will be only black gene added. Now, if the same is true for the female, then obviously you can't have anything but BBBBBBB, you know, big B, which is black, 100% solid black offspring. If you go to the second box, and a female happens to have a recessive gene in, in her, one of the chromosomes has a recessive gene on it, in the mating, you'll discover because the male has nothing but dominant black, that still will be 100% solid black because the recessive gene, when matched with the dominant gene, never, well, virtually never, most of the time anyway, does not get its way. Uh, the big B overpowers the little b, and thus you have 100% solid black. But if in the male and the female, there are on the chromosomes a, so a dominant black and a recessive, not solid black, there. You'll notice that as you mate them together, there is the possibility of the recessive gene being on both chromosomes and thus producing the non-solid black animal. And so in the middle box, 
you discover 75% of the offspring will tend to be solid black and 25% non-solid. Now obviously, the way life works, <laughs> because there are millions of sperm going in there, you know, these are, we're, we're, we're playing with uh, a roulette wheel almost here. And you know, you aren't gonna, but if you have enough of them, it's, a, it's roughly 75-25. You couldn't say from mating of any two that you would always have three of one and one of the other, obviously. But that's the rough percentage. <coughs> now, if the female in the fourth box was spe speckled or spotted or streaked or whatever it was, and thus had recessive genes on both chromosomes, and the male was black but had a recessive gene, then you'll notice the chances are 50-50 of having a non-solid black colored kid. And then finally, in the last box, which we're not really talking about here because all of those animals had been removed, but if the male and the female both were not solid black, that meant they both possessed recessive gene on both chromosomes, then it would be 100% non-solid black kids. Generally speaking, generally speaking. I know you, you look at this kind of thing and every once in a while you, you find a really weird thing happens. <laughs> you know, and you get a blue one or something in the middle of it all. <coughs> Which gives rise to some people's ideas of, of uh, evolution. You know, evolution used to be believed only as a long, slow process of little teeny jumps. But because they really have a hard time proving this, didn't happen, that's why. And uh, finding evidences of it, they go to big jumps now. And they go back to what a uh, man by the name of Goldschmidt way back in the early part of the century uh, called the hopeful monster. You know, chicken lays an egg and out hops a kangaroo or something, you know. And uh, that is funny, isn't it? <laughs> but there are some people who, who, you know, in effect, that's what they're teaching. And the reason they're teaching it is not because it makes any sense or that they can show that it happened, it's because they do not accept the alternative. I think I mentioned this before when we were talking about the first part of Genesis. I, I read one of Julian Huxley's books. Now, Julian Huxley, back earlier in this century, was Mr. Evolution. I mean, if anybody represented evolution, Julian Huxley did. And in one of his books, I read it for myself in black and white. He said, if evolution is not true, I, do, I refuse to accept the alternative. <laughs> well, to me, that's not science. You know? I, I just can't accept that as a scientific view of things. It's, it's purely philosophical. Of course, if you go into the modern day markets today, the, the, the only other alternative is that it was an alien baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> as you well know, that solves no problems. <laughs> Some of us may have kids who are kind of space cadets, but does <laughs> that doesn't mean we can blame them on some alien. So, the point that I'm trying to make here, I don't know how well, but anyway, from this d set of diagrams, uh, I hope it can be seen that the non-solid color will never appear if both parents are, unless both parents are carrying the recessive gene. 
Both parents have to have the recessive gene in their chromosomes for the non-solid animal to appear. It just can't appear otherwise under normal laws of genetics. Both goats may have black coats, but two goats, male and female with black coats, can produce a non-solid black offspring if each has the recessive gene. And in that third box in the middle there, the two recessive genes are the ones that actually join in the zygote. You will then have <laughs> zygote. I never thought about that. We're talking about goats, and so we're talking about zygotes here. <laughs> I don't know. <coughs> yeah, it doesn't fit. If one goat is black and the other non-solid, there's a 50% chance then of the non-solid colored uh, goats. If both parents are non-solid, then there's a 100% chance of the offspring being non-solid. Now, let's go back to what Laban and Jacob had done here. Laban removed all the non-solid colored goats and sheep, which means 100% box is out, gone, right? And so is the box above it, because none of the animals left has the striped or the spotted or the speckled coat. So the last two boxes, which we give the higher percentages, are gone. The very best that's left is the middle box. All black, all white sheep, all black goats, but the recessive gene is still out there. It's still in the herd. It just doesn't manifest itself in the physical features of the animal. But there's something else that makes it even more difficult for Jacob. When a spotted or speckled or streaked or patched goat or sheep is born, what does he do with it? As soon as it's weaned, he takes it out of Laban's herd and puts it into his own herd. That was part of the bargain. Now, had he wanted to see the increase happen more rapidly, he would have left them in the herd. But he's pulling them out of the herd because, you see, they, in order to have the coat they had, had to have the recessive gene in both chromosomes. So, therefore, they would always be putting the recessive gene into the mix. So, they were culled out and put into a separate herd, which, of course, meant they would always breed of their type. And so, that, as that herd grew, it would always grow of the kind he could keep. But gee, he was reducing. So if you look at this middle box, a 25% chance of each union would produce what he wanted. But by culling out, all the time culling out those when they were born, he's actually reducing that below 25% chance of the non-solid color animals appearing. So upon whom must Jacob be depending? He's got to be depending upon God. And Laban could not say that in any way he was being cheated here. <laughs> Jacob was going out of his way to make it difficult for his end of the bargain to profit and to increase the chances of Laban's end of the bargain being carried out. Now, interestingly enough, Jacob knew enough about these animals that he felt very secure when he said, if you find in my herd a solid white sheep 
or a solid black goat, you may consider that animal stolen. He knew enough that if both animal, I mean, if the whole herd was made up of the animals with the recessive genes, he didn't know about recessive genes, but patched and streaked and spotted, that basically they never reproduced a solid color animal. He knew that from observation, apparently. And so he felt secure in that happening. Now, if for some reason it were to happen, and it seems like freaky things happen in nature, <coughs> he could always run it back into Laban's herd, I suppose. But anyway, he felt secure enough to, to make that particular bargain. And as I said before, it was you know, pretty easy to spot the, the wrong colored animal in, in the herd, either, either way you looked at it. So, this brings us <laughs> to the last verses of the chapter. <laughs> Let me read them, and we don't really have time at this morning to, uh, to finish talking about this. By the way, before I do, I'm no expert on this. We, we have a doctor here who's, I'm sure, an expert, but any questions about this that I'm able to answer? <laughs> I understand genetic research uh, traces back a great deal of influence to the grandparents. And uh, they, the, so what he did was took the, the, the grandparents out, but the genes were still in the black and in the white. Oh, yeah, they were still there. And, you know, uh, obviously, from what happens in the last verses, he, he didn't understand this particular process. <laughs> and uh, what's really funny is, because as you look at that, it's almost as if he believed by looking at something you could force your genes to, to produce a particular <laughs> offspring. But, uh, well, let me read those uh, verses, and then next week we'll look at them. Because in them we discover the hand of God. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar, and almond and plane trees, and peeled the white strips in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth stripes speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the a flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, it came about whenever the stronger of the flock were mating that Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters so they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Boy, that took a little bit of rod manipulating. <laughs> that would fit right in with the theory of evolution, you know. Two sheep, voila, a camel. <laughs> anyway, uh, next Sunday we'll, we'll look at this particular passage because there are some interesting insights and possibilities here. Uh, but as I said, in it all, what you really see is God at work. God bringing about His purposes no matter what the odds are. You may face impossible odds, but if God wants it to be so, it will be so because the Scripture says, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And that even includes the laws of genetics if necessary. God will do what God wants done in and through us.